0: everybody. Welcome back to It's a Twin Thing. It's the very first Twinspiration episode of 2024 and Ashley's yawning so she's really excited. I'm sorry. I'm so excited. Woohoo! It's Ashley, the bestestest half of the Summer's Twins. And Aspen, the okayest half of the Summer's Twins. Yeah, you're just okay. I didn't know how to follow that one. Aw, poor Aspen. I know. I always just have such hard things to follow. (laughs) That didn't make any sense. You're hard to follow. I know. I am, actually. It's because I'm getting old and I'm losing my mind. I can't remember anything anymore. It's really frustrating. Me too. And I know that people don't believe me or not don't believe me. But when I say I'm getting old, they're like, huh, you're not old. You're only 20. I'm (laughs) 50,000. No one's (laughs) actually 50,000. but Well, you don't know. Well, I'm pretty sure. Anyway, we are so excited to be back on Twinspiration, especially because we haven't had an episode in like a month because we had our Christmas countdown. Uh huh. But we have some very exciting guests this year. We are super excited to kick off the year with Dr. Catherine Isco. But first, it is time <gasps> for the inspirational in it. Woo! If you're a new listener, the Inspirational In It is our version of the Good News Minute. But as you all know, Ashley likes the name Inspirational In It. And And so do all of our listeners. The three people that voted because I don't know how to vote. But I figured it out now on Spotify because I'm a tech genius. Yeah, because it's so hard. Yeah, Our Inspirational In It for the day... Even though it's a little bit past Christmas time, I feel like we're all still in the holiday spirit. So I really liked this one. It is about an elementary school secret Santa club. So I don't know if you guys know the story of Secret Santa, but it started, at least according to the history that I learned about it, It started because there was this guy who was homeless and down on his luck and he went into a diner and couldn't pay and then the diner owner pretended to drop money and like cash and gave it to him and he was so touched by this gesture that then, He ended up creating this multi-million dollar organization or company. I don't remember what the company was, but he became super rich. And so then during Christmas, he would walk around this town where the diner was and just randomly hand out $100 bills to people who needed them. So this Phoenix elementary school teacher learned about this history. And so she started a secret Santa club at the school where she encouraged the kids to call up local businesses and their friends and family to donate money to their secret Santa club and then the kids went around on the road and they handed out money to people who looked like they needed help which i just thought was so adorable they called the students the giving gang and they all had red plaid shirts and hats that they wore when they went around so they looked kind of like little santa clauses and i just thought that was such a sweet story and A great way that the teacher was showing kids how to give back and so amazing of the community to support them. And they ended up raising $8,000 to hand out to Secret Santa recipients, which is just so cool and cute. Yeah, that's a really sweet story. I like it. Good job, Aspen. Thanks. And good job to the Secret Santa Club. Good job, Secret Santa Club. Okay, well, on this episode of Twinspiration, we are very, very excited to kick off the year with Dr. Catherine Isco. Like Aspen said, she is a former CEO of a global company and a keynote speaker and author, and now she is a self-respect expert. You may be wondering what that is. I had never really heard of that before we talked to her She had so many really amazing things to say about learning to respect yourself and like yourself, and I think a lot of what she had to talk about were things that everyone can relate to, and she has a very inspirational story of how she got into doing what she does today, and I think that this episode will just provide a lot of really great insight for everybody, so I hope that you will listen and take away something from what she talked to us about. Yeah, I think she just had a really inspirational story of how she went from, even though she had all of these amazing accolades on paper, she was the CEO of a global company, like Ashley said, and she had started her own restaurant and she had a PhD and all of these really amazing achievements. But she talks about how she realized that she was kind of living her life for other people and she was really struggling a lot under the surface and how she learned about self-respect and that transformed her whole life. We were just super fascinated by everything that she had to say. So we're really excited for you guys to get to hear it. And without further ado, here is the first episode of Twinspiration for 2024. Well, it's great to meet you. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah,
1: thank you. Of course, of course. I have uh, triplets in the family, so I always like meeting either triplets or twins. So, they're yeah, it's just it's awesome.
0: Yeah, that's so cool. Are they identical triplets?
1: Identical, and unfortunately, two of them have passed away. They they were my great uncles, but um, they used to play tricks on their then girlfriends, not, not in a weird way, but even when their girlfriends became their wives, they still played tricks on them because they were just so identical. And there's so many funny stories like that. They were, they were jokers. Like they once said, oh, why don't you smell this pie to tell me what flavor it is? And then they would like dunk my head in it in a funny way and not, not in a completely yeah. Yeah, I miss I miss him a lot.
0: That sounds like a lot of our uncles too. That yeah. they just sounds like our dad. Yeah, our dad <laughs> especially.
1: Ah, uh, that's the best way. I think, I think humor always makes you live longer.
0: I think so too. I think there's some statistic that like every time you smile or laugh, it increases your life by three minutes or something. I mean, it's probably not a real statistic, but...
1: Even if it's placebo, I'll take it.
0: Yeah. Well, I guess to start off with, before we get into the work that you do, would you just tell us a little bit about your background? I know that you talked about that you are really interested in self-respect because you know what it's like to live without it and and so did you grow up not really seeing that modeled for you, or I guess just what was your history with self-respect?
1: It's a good question, and I think it's sort of nature versus nurture in, in that sense. But today, I think everything is so different in hindsight, and I think sometimes when we look at our past, we're looking at our past through the lens of knowledge that we have today. So it confuses things, because you think, well, how did I not respect myself then, And I think it's really a combination of factors. My parents... Divorce when they were uh, when I was eight, and I think at the time because we were living in a foreign country in France, it was almost like you're in the the dryer. Everything is sort of moving around. So not only are you speaking a foreign language, you're in a foreign country, you're away from your nuclear, I guess your, your extended but nuclear family. But everything is a bit confusing when you're eight because you're no longer a child, but you're obviously not a teenager yet. So once again, you're in that weird limbo. And I think back then, because I was such a high achieving perfectionist, everything had to be A plus, I had to be the best on the team, I had to be the best of everything. And I never liked to judge or point fingers but I think sometimes as, a, as adults, when you're going through a rough times, sometimes you forget people around you. And perhaps maybe that was some of the nurture aspects of why I needed more attention and therefore why I didn't respect myself. But yeah, it took me a long time to realize that, which is part of the fun of life is learning.
0: Well, I appreciate that you talk about looking back with the knowledge that you have now, because I feel like I've heard people sometimes get into a habit of resenting people or situations from their past and saying, oh, I didn't realize then, but this was such a toxic relationship or my parents were treating me so badly. And I think obviously sometimes that can be true, but I think that everyone's doing the best that they can and it can be easy to judge situations with the perspective that you have. Have now and so I just think that's really important that you acknowledge that and I appreciate that.
1: I think I think it's a good point because I I often joke that when we're really good judges of other people but then when someone is judging us then all of a sudden we become lawyers. Mm-hmm. We try to defend ourselves. I think the beauty of I love getting older. I've just sort of hit my, my middle mark and it just gets better and better. But I think when you're younger, and I don't want to say younger as in numerical age, but when you haven't, I guess, started to see, well, maybe I'm the common denominator for a lot of things, it feels so much better to blame others because you're avoiding pointing the fingers at you. I mean, no one likes to be the fault of anything. It just doesn't feel good. But when you recognize, again, through the lens of self-respect, and that's why I love it so much, is you can start looking at yourself with less judgment and more curiosity. And I think that's such an important aspect of life because the more we judge, the less we learn. So I always tell myself, just be curious. Look at yourself from afar. Look at yourself almost like a bird looking down you know, on yourself like from a wire and asking yourself, I wonder what other perspectives I can really learn about myself. Like if I go that way or that way, and I look at it through that person's lens or that person's lens, it almost becomes addictive to start to learn about yourself.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting that you talk about people wanting to judge other people but defend themselves. I mean, I definitely do that a lot because I don't want anybody to be upset with me or like think bad things about me or be judging me and I don't want them to be judging me in the way that I judge other people. But I think it's funny because we're our own worst critics and we judge ourselves way more than anybody else judges us. So it's interesting that we are so quick to put the blame on other people. And I guess I'm curious when you talk about looking at yourself through the lens of self-respect, how do you kind of balance looking at yourself with respect, but also being able to take responsibility for your actions and not giving yourself a free pass, I
1: guess. That's a great way to say it, you know, a free pass. I think one of the things that uh, when I conducted a study, one of the most interesting findings was that persons who show healthy levels of self-respect are able to look at themselves not only with curiosity, but with a mindset of, I'm not being arrogant. I'm actually just looking at myself with pride. And I think that's really, really challenging in a world where, ironically, we're taking selfies of ourselves and promoting us. Like it's all about me, 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 me. But I think when you start looking at yourself from a I wonder rather than me, 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 and again, back to that curiosity, you start to recognize that you're not arrogant. You actually just have a healthy mindset towards yourself. And I think once you realize the most important opinion that you could ever have is one that you have over yourself, That starts to become a bit easier because at the end of the day, people won't like you. And as a Canadian, this is like my, ah, this is like the worst thing that I could have imagined. And I'm still working on that people-pleasing and disappointing others. I think I'm going to work on that until my last dying day. But when I can start having more moments of saying, you know what, I'm proud of myself. That wasn't perfect, and maybe I shouldn't have said that to that person. But I've learned from it, and I'm going to do better next time. My Angelou said, "When you know better, you do better," and I think that's like that's the core of it, really.
0: I think that we can both really connect to that people pleasing attitude because we're both very much perfectionists and we want to make everybody happy, and we can't stand when we feel like somebody doesn't like us. In your bio, you talked about that you went through, when you were younger, a lot of mental health issues and addiction and an eating disorder. I was wondering if you feel like any of that kind of stemmed from the constant need to please people and then feeling like. Like you could never be perfect? Or what do you think triggered that?
1: It's it's funny because as a high achieving people pleaser, it's really a paradox if you think about it. Because achievement really, if you look at it, you are the one achieving something. But how do you achieve enough when you're constantly trying to please others? Like it's never going to be enough. So when it came to especially disordered eating, I think the finish line constantly moved, right? Like it was never strict enough. I was never skinny enough. I was never pretty enough because there was always someone that was skinnier, pretty, smarty, smarter, faster, and so forth. And so I always thought that when I get to that first place, then that meant that everyone around me was going to like me because I was that perfect person, right? But it was never enough so i think that's the challenge with addiction there's constantly like this moving line that you never achieve it's always more 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 and the funny thing is is that people aren't thinking about you because they have their own problems so it's all in our head but we tell ourselves no 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 it's different for you because people are thinking about you you are the exception to the rule You have to be a perfectionist. You have to eat this way. You have to do these things. I think that's a beauty of perspective taking. I think you have to almost force yourself to believe a different perspective until you actually believe it. So it's challenging. And in regards to addiction, it's it's interesting because I think, I don't want to say kids, but I felt like I was a kid at that time. It was just all around me, and I didn't know any different. And I think that's some of the benefit of social media is that you get to see different perspectives. But when you've been modeled these behaviors, and God forbid, by my parents, I don't think my parents have ever done anything wrong in their life. Uh, so it was just the friends that I was around. It was, you know, hey, be cool. If you do this, you will be part of our group. Ergo, we will love you. It had nothing to do with that. And part of the drug taking was to escape in the sense of to escape my own thoughts, What are people thinking about me? They must think I'm ugly. They must think I'm stupid. And the benefit, in quotes, of drug taking is you get to soften those edges. It's almost like you have these sharp edges. And when you take certain kinds of drugs, it kind of blunts those edges. So you just feel more comfortable in your skin. The difficulty is that reality always hits. And when you get back to reality, everything is 10 times worse. So then you take again and then it gets worse and then you're caught in this negative cycle.
0: So what do you do now to kind of stop those thoughts of what people are thinking about you and people must be thinking these bad things about you? How do you escape those or do you not have them anymore?
1: Uh, There's two different ways. One, you can look at all the people that do like you and that will love you no matter what. You know, my parents, my partner, my friends. I'll give you an example on social media. I did a post that uh, attracted a lot of negative comments. I mean, we're talking very negative, like everything from you're a whore, you're a homewrecker, like really, really, really nasty comments. And one of my girlfriends said to me, wow, I don't think I would ever be able to go through that. And I said, you know, the beauty of self-respect is You know what people say about you is not the truth. So I know who I am as a person. Now, if my girlfriend would have said that about me, I would be crushed because I respect her opinion. But with the other people, I always say to myself, if they don't have my phone number, that is, they can't call me and have a conversation, they don't have the right to judge me, nor do I have the right to judge them. So that's one way. The other thing is understanding you are actually in control of your thoughts. So if you picture like a train and you're standing on a platform the thought is a train. You can jump on that train and that train can take you around the world and you can go in all different directions. Now, sometimes I do jump on that train and I get caught in that, oh my God, they're thinking about me. I said something stupid. Like when I'm giving a keynote presentation, sometimes I lock eyes with someone who's just in this bad mood and just scowling at me. And I'm like, oh my God, that's my train. I'm going to jump on that train. Why don't I just run away? And then you realize, actually, you know what? I can jump off this train anytime I want want, but it's really understanding that you're not being arrogant to support yourself. And I think that's really challenging for overachieving perfectionistic people pleasers because we think we're the exception to the rule. We think what they're saying about us is true, but it isn't. So it's like constantly that you have this like angel and demon on your shoulders. You have this angel like, you go girl, you're doing a great job. And then you have this devil saying, you are not doing great job because look at his face. He hates you. He thinks you're stupid. So it's practice. Unfortunately, it's practice because we we do know about neuroplasticity in the sense that when you do things over and over and over again, i.e. if you think I'm fat, I'm stupid, I'm ugly, over and over again, your brain says, ah, you know, this is important for you to remember. So we're going to make a brain shortcut called a heuristic shortcut. And basically, neuroplasticity is like ivy. You know, ivy growing on a wall, it cuts certain branches, so then other branches grow really strong. But you can do the same thing for more helpful thinking. I don't like to say positive thinking because I think there's a lot of toxic positivity out there more helpful thinking. So that's when you challenge like the devil in the shoulder and you start listening more like, okay, how can I learn from both of them? But look at this objectively and you start pruning those unhelpful connections and making more helpful connections. But listen, I'm 45 and I'm still working on this. And I think one of the things is don't be too hard on yourself and understand that just like if you're trying to learn a new trick, whether it's running or dancing or rollerblading, you don't expect to be perfect at it the first time. Lord knows I am not, not even close to it. So some days I have days that I'm really in control and other days not. But one of my favorite sayings, this too shall pass. But the thing is oftentimes people think of this too shall pass as this bad time will pass. And yes, that is true and helpful. But sometimes we have to remind ourselves during the really good times that when we're having a good day, we know that a bad day is going to come as well, but it allows us to be prepared for it when we're in that bad day. We reminded ourselves, like, I know I'm going to get there as well. I need to put in a bit more effort right now to combat those thoughts, but I know I'm going to get there because I know I'm worth it. I know I'm important. I know I'm significant, and I know the most important opinion is the one that I have of myself.
0: I find it so interesting how powerful our brains are and how powerful thoughts can be because I feel like it can be really easy, at least for me, to think that, well, this is just a thought that I'm having. Like, it, it doesn't really matter. Like, I can think I'm so stupid, I can't believe that I did so bad on this test, and like keep telling myself, I'm so dumb, I'm so dumb. And I'm like, well, that doesn't really matter that I'm thinking that because it's just a thought. But there's a lot of research that I've heard about your brain really does like start to believe those things and start to form habits around what you think and like how powerful visualization and things like that can be. I'm curious how you started to make that transition from thinking always about how other people were thinking about you and getting on those thought trains that you were talking about and then what kind of allowed you to start, I don't want to say controlling your thoughts, but like- Managing. thoughts. Yeah, managing. That.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you the story that was a, a bit of a light bulb moment, or I call them dimmer switch moments, because you get a bit of clarity, you get a bit of light, but then the next day it gets a bit darker and then a bit more lighter. And it was be when I was about 32- And I was ghosted by yet another guy. Now, to paint the picture, if you were to look up stage five clinger in the dictionary, you would have seen my face. Like the ultimate stage five clinger because it was I like myself if you like me. So if someone wasn't paying me attention... Then I was thinking to myself, I'm clearly not good enough. And I was surrounded by people that were in relationships. And I was like, what is wrong with me? You know, yet another guy has dropped me. And I had a buddy of mine that I would always default to and do the whole, woe is me. Like, why do I always have this bad luck dating these, you know, a-hole guys and so forth. And he just had enough of me. It was like, oh my God, for the thousands time. And he's turned to me, he said, and I was bawling. I was like, you know, my life is over he said, do you not realize that you're the common denominator for all of your failed relationships? And it was like, if you've ever seen those movies where someone gets punched in the stomach, but it's like slow motion and it's like your face gets contorted and it's like, oh, it hurts so much. And at the time, I was so mad at him because like, what did he know? He didn't know the inside of my relationship. And then it's kind of like that dimmer switch. I'm like, oh, wait, objectively, he's kind of right. And so when I started realizing that I was not this holier than thou art person who just had bad luck and I... I was actually at the center for everything around me. I then took the mindset of my life, my responsibility, because I think up until that point, I was so mad at others for how they were screwing up my life. You know, it was never my fault. And then when you really stop and think of all the choices that you've made in the past, you're at the center of those choices and you can say, oh, you know, I didn't really have a choice or they influenced me or yada, 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 yada. At the end of the day, the choice is yours. And that is at the really the core of self-respect When you start realizing that you need to start making choices that make you proud, not necessarily happy, you know, happiness is fleeting. It goes up and down, but pride, I always say is honesty in action. And that's why I have a tattoo on my arm. It's a quote that my dad told me many, many years ago. And at the time I was like, dad, you're so weird. And I'm sure you get this with your dad as well. It's to thine own self be true. It's a quote from Hamlet. And he would telling me this over and over again, I finally got it. I was like, ah, if I'm true to myself and honest with myself, then I can be honest in action through my choices, how I look at myself in both the good and bad light. And so it was really from that moment of when I was 32 that I started to look at myself and the world in a different way. I don't want to paint the picture that it was the most beautiful time. Like it wasn't like a Hollywood movie where the clouds parted and the sun sun like shown out of my ass. It was quite the opposite. After that, I actually called my mother and within 24 hours, I was on a plane home back to New Jersey. And I was binge eating the entire way. I was crying the entire way. Like I just remember this person sitting next to me. God, I feel so bad for him. He was like, how did I get sat next to the most weird woman in the entire planet? And so after a while, when I was at home, you know, I started getting a bit more control. I went for walks and so forth, and it was a slow burn to try to get to the person that I am today. And I think that's so important, especially when people look at these quote unquote experts on social media. I always say the more someone says that they have their life in order and they know everything, the faster you need to run away from them because it just ain't true. So it's really understanding if you can just look at your life from an 80, 20 rule where 80% of the time, you know, you feel good about your choices. You're proud of yourself. You understand you're not the smartest person in the room, but you can still contribute. You may not be the most beautiful Gigi Hagged or whatever you call her. You won't be her, but you don't need to be her because you're you. And then 20% of the time, you have just those days where you think the clouds are never, ever going to go away. But during those days is actually when you learn the most. It's only through discomfort and frustration and even anger that you really can learn the most from yourself. When I have bad days, first of all, I say, ooh, this is going to make really good content. And second, I'm like, okay, let me stop and think. What's really going on here? What am I afraid of? What do I actually want? Am I living my life for someone else or is the choice I'm about to make for me? And that's when the magic starts to happen. When you start thinking about yourself through that lens of self respect.
0: Well, I really appreciate you being so honest that not every day is perfect for you and that you're still working on all of these things because I do agree, especially with social media. From my perspective, at least, it feels like there's so many of these self help experts or people like that who make it seem like things are always perfect for them. And then I feel like sometimes, even if they do have the best of intentions of helping people, when you are in a situation where you don't feel positive or happy or able to do what they're preaching, then you just feel even more like you're failing or you're not as good as they are. And I think that can make it worse. It's really important that you are sharing that you're experiencing these same things that the people you're trying to help are experiencing and not that you're this godlike being that <laughs> doesn't experience these human problems or emotions. Yeah, and yeah, because I think that we kind of have a habit of putting people on a pedestal and feeling like we can't admit to failures or to struggles because then people won't respect us and they won't trust our opinion and we have to be perfect for people to want to listen to us. And I think that it's kind of the opposite because... Everybody knows that nobody has a perfect life and nobody does everything right all the time. And so if you're walking around kind of acting like you are perfect, then I think it kind of makes it harder for people to trust you. And I feel like logically, at least for me, I know that. But I also have a hard time accepting that when I'm interacting with other people because I feel like I need to prove myself and show them that I am perfect. And it's really hard to admit that you failed or you made a bad choice or you messed up or whatever. And so I think that it is also really helpful for everybody to hear somebody like you admit to struggling and failing and having bad days because you seem so like put together and perfect and like eloquent. And so I think that it is really important for people to know that it's not perfect for anybody.
1: Oh, gosh. If you look up the definition of perfect, it's basically flawless. What is one thing on earth, you know, other than nature? I think nature is perfect, but other than nature is perfect. You know, and it's funny when you're saying like, oh, I'm so eloquent and perfect. You know, that 20% of my head is saying, you sound like an idiot. Like literally right now in my head, I'm going, I'm making no sense you know, these girls are going to think, well, we can't publish this. Like those are the voices that are in my head. But during this conversation, I have to have that mindset of, okay, is that true? And the question is, are my expectations that I get every answer perfect? That on that side is, yes, that's my expectation, which is unrealistic. I can't be flawless, nor do I want to be. I think there's so much beauty in imperfection. You know, when I look at even in someone's face, if they're so perfect, I'm like, there's no story there. You know, there might be, but it's not obvious. Whereas if I look at someone and they're sort of awkward and imperfect and a bit weird and quirky, basically like my dad, I'm like, oh, I want to get to know you more. And I think it's really just combating those thoughts and understanding, you know, The definition based on my research of self-respect is knowing that you're important. And what I mean by this is if you make mistakes, if people don't like you, if you screw up, if you say something wrong, if you hurt someone, that's part of the ticket that we get when we're pooped out on here on earth. Like that is part of the ticket. We can't say, okay, I don't want to experience any of those emotions. We have to experience those emotions, but knowing that despite... Despite these feelings, despite these thoughts that are telling there's something wrong with you, self-respect is a foundation to say, yeah, that's not great, but you're still important. Now, oftentimes as a high achieving perfectionist, we think saying, I know I'm important is equivalent of saying, I'm more important than you. And that's the challenge is understanding that that is not true. Saying you're important is not saying that, I'm better than you, I'm more flawless than you, I'm more perfect than you, just saying that I'm actually proud of who I am, even though I'm having these thoughts in my head right now, like, shut up, you're not answering the question, blah, blah, like, you just have to quiet those thoughts,
0: and it's okay, it makes you
1: interesting.
0: I mean, like I said, we're both high-achieving perfectionists, and I think just- My people- the- my yeah, people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hearing somebody say that is meaningful because I just don't think it's talked about enough. And I think that a lot of people can use to hear that this is an experience everybody has. Since you were touching on your research, I did want to ask you how, because you started a restaurant business and then you pursued a PhD and then you were the CEO of a global company and then you transitioned into working in self-respect. And I'm super curious how you decided to take that leap and if it was scary and I guess like what that transition was like for you.
1: It was scary and beautiful at the same time. So I've always, I've been told that I have a slight ADHD, that I'm always trying to figure things out. I'm like, Ooh, squirrel, 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 let's, let's do that. So I think a lot of it is just because I'm always curious about figuring things out so, I started cooking when I was six years old, like, you know, the Betty Crocker, like in the magic oven, you know, that yeah. was heated by a light bulb. I used to love that thing. And I was always passionate about food. Then my family moved to France. And of course, everything is surrounded by food there. And so I opened a restaurant that didn't go well. I went bankrupt. And then, you know, just life sort of took over. I ended up going to school to quote unquote, give it a try, got stuck there. And it was just sort of like this boulder that just kept on moving and, the more it moved, the less control I had over it. And then I got stuck in school just because someone said, Hey, why don't you do your master's? I was like, Okay, let's do my master's. I had no passion for the subject at all, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so it just sort of moved and moved and moved. I moved here to Australia, started my PhD, then started a technology company, was the CEO. And I'll, I'll tell you this the moment that I sort of realized what I wanted to do when I was, when I grow up, <laughs> if you want to call it that. I was about 43, 44 years old, and I found myself going to work and just not feeling myself. I just felt off. And one of my colleagues said, you know, why don't you go chat with someone? Why don't you go see a psychologist? And I said, you know, that's a good idea. And within 15 minutes of the appointment, she said, you're burnt out. You're going to need to take some time off. I said, well, how much time off? And she said, well, at least a month. And I almost looked at her and said, do you not know who I am? I don't take a month off. I'm a high achieving perfectionist. We don't take time off. And so I bargained her down to taking the rest of the afternoon off, clearly, a very, very forceful person. And within one hour of getting home, it hit me like a ton of bricks. So I told myself there's a great exercise that I highly recommend to everyone. It's called flow writing. It was validated back in the 70s. And basically what you do is you take a piece of paper and a pen, or if you want, you know, your notepad on your phone, you set a timer. And you set about to write through a catalyzing question. Like mine was, how does it feel to be me right now? So I pressed start on the timer and I just started writing. I was thinking, you know, it was going to be that Hollywood moment where the clouds parted and, you know, the answer was going to shine off my page and beautiful cursive writing. Whereas in reality, what happened is the most profane language and anger and white psychopathic rage I've ever experienced in my entire life. Like... You know when psychopathic killers like write those like ransom notes like kill, kill, kill and they send it to the cops? That's what it looked like. And the buzzer sounded and I remember taking it, was it was in my journal. I threw it down on the couch and I gave it a double middle finger. Now the reason why I say that is because oftentimes you think that you're going to understand what you want to do when you grow up or when you need to make a change through this beautiful experience, like you're in a therapy room or you're out for a walk with your friend, you're like, ah, I understand, you know, the solution to my problem. It is not like that. Especially as a high achieving perfectionist, I truly believe that we have to get to the point of pure anger and rage to realize what the F am I doing with my life. And I realize that all the choices that I was making in my life weren't for me. It was to impress others. And I was thinking, my God, I'm 45. And this is when like like the midlife crisis, it was, it was like burnout and midlife crisis rolled in one, which I, I recommend because of what happened, but not recommend for what you go through. And it was in that moment that, again, like we, we spoke about before, is I realized it's my choice. It's all my choices that have got me to where I am today. And so to answer your question is, you know, what made me realize it was that stark moment when I realized that if I'm trying to impress others, I'm never, ever going to feel successful because I'm living their life. And guess what? They're not thinking about me. They have no idea what I'm going through. And that was the moment when I started really being passionate and looking at what is underneath confidence. You know, we talk about confidence, self-esteem, self-worth, which are all important factors for how we look at ourselves in the world, but there had to be something underneath it. And that's when I started to dive into the literature and asking the question, what is self-respect? How can we use it to live better lives and have deeper relationships and to live, I guess, lives that when we're at the end, we can look back and say, yes, you know, I didn't do everything perfectly, but I'm proud of the decisions that i made and where I got to. And I think if everyone can have even just a little drop of that moment to sort of slap you into realizing, like, time is fleeting. You can't buy extra time like they do in those, you know, supernatural movies. Time is ticking. And once you realize that, you realize, you know, I'm never going to impress everyone, unfortunately, as much as I want to, and I think that's okay. I always tell myself I really want people to like me, but I'm going to find a way to feel okay if they don't. Does that Does that answer your question in the sense of how I sort of got to where I am now?
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. I I mean, we're both seniors in college right now, so we're in the stage of like, what do we do next? And I think it can be really easy to get. Stuck in, well, what should I do next? Like, what does everyone else think that I should do? And we both have a lot of interests that are not the most, I guess, practical. Yeah, practical. Uh, when everyone's like, oh, well, what are your plans? And all the other students in my business class already have finance jobs lined up. And I'm like, well, maybe I should go start interviewing for jobs. But like you said, time is fleeting. And that's not something that I ever see myself finding any joy in. And have
1: you heard of the Ikigai?
0: No, I
1: haven't. So the concept of Ikigai is of uh, Japanese origin, and I'm not going to be able to remember the four quadrants. It's a Venn diagram. And basically, is answering the four questions is, what are you good at? What does the world need? What will you be paid for? And then there's something else. There's a fourth quadrant. And basically, in the middle of all that is your answer. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, you're not going to look up on Google and see it you're like, okay, you know, your trajectory is done, but it's great to really consider. And when I'm working with mentees at the university here, that's a question that I always ask. And I always start with, who are you doing this degree for? Now, their default answer is me. And then I call their bullshit, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, is really answering that question. You know, who are you doing this degree for? And this is not a question that you automatically answer. This is the kind of question that you think about and you're able to answer over time. Like when you have shower conversations with yourself, like you know how you're, show- and you're like having full conversations with your shampoo bottles or you're walking and you're letting your mind wander, that's a really, really important question to answer. And I think that is not going to make your trajectory perfect, but I think it's going to expedite your path to really understanding who you are and how can you be of service to the world, which is, I think, very important.
0: Yeah, that definitely sounds like something that I think that I should look up because, (laughs) and I think so many of our listeners, obviously that's super relevant for us as college students but I think in any stage of your life you can be at a point where you get stuck doing something for other people or not knowing what you want to do next or even even if you're in a comfortable job or comfortable spot in your life comfortable doesn't necessarily mean you're fulfilled and I think that is really relevant for anybody so I'm
1: going to go look that up
0: and I hope our listeners (laughs) will too
1: Yeah. And I think just with, with feeling comfortable, I think you want to feel comfortable, but not too comfortable because that means that you're not growing and learning. You want to feel a bit of that discomfort that, you know, a bit of that, Ooh, this doesn't feel right. And that's when you know you're onto something because there's a big difference between, Hey, this sucks versus this is hard. So I think, you know, when you're thinking about pivoting into a different area and so forth, there's a big difference of saying, okay, this is hard, but that means I'm just trying to figure things out versus this sucks when you just every single morning, you feel like you're wasting your life and wasting your brain and wasting your happiness. So it's really differentiating between the two because school is hard. Trust me, I was there for 13 years. Oh, I know.
0: Well, speaking of school, Ashley has a class that she has to get to. Um I so I would love to continue this for Me longer. But um we do have two questions that we like to ask all of our guests at the end. So our first question is if you have a favorite inspirational quote that you wanna share with our listeners.
1: My tattoo, my tattoo, to thine own self be true. And that's why it always reminds me during that 20% periods of my life, I can look down in there and say, what is a thought or feeling or decision that I can make that is true to myself that I can say that's honesty in action.
0: That's that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that quote. Though so I have to say, I would never get a tattoo right here because I feel like that would hurt so much. <laughs>
1: it didn't at all oh, and goodness. um and i'm really proud of this one because i got my dad to write it on a piece of paper Aww. and so this is my dad's writing so i always have my dad with me oh, always I love that. yeah that's mm.
0: awesome this is like i have like a fear of this part of my arm because of when i was little and i would get blood drawn and they'd like stick things in there
1: oh i could, <laughs> yes i can understand that totally
0: but anyways i digress yes our last question is if you could have an identical twin would you want one
1: yes I've always wanted like a sister or like, sorry, I should say I have a half brother. He's six years older. And I think he said about five words in his entire life. He's, he's basically the opposite of me. And um, so I've always wanted one. I, I'm really curious to see what my life would have looked like to have someone by my side. And I think it's such a beautiful thing. I think it's such a beautiful thing that you've created even, um you know, I have to admit, I'm slightly jealous of it as well, because it's such a beautiful thing.
0: We like it most of the time.
1: Uh (laughs) That's 80% of the time you love each other, 20% you probably want to kill each other.
0: Exactly. Yeah, that pretty much defines our relationship.
1: (laughs) It's a good ratio. It's a great ratio. It
0: is well thank you so much for doing this 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 was was really great yeah
1: my absolute pleasure thank you so much for having me
0: absolutely i hope you have a great rest of your day and i hope we get to talk again because it was really amazing to get to talk to you
1: my pleasure my pleasure
0: bye thank you